battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Folks, welcome back. You are still listening to The Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio program. We are now in the second half of the show that we call Overtime. We are now online only. We have freed ourselves from the shackles of the FCC censors, and we appreciate everybody tuning in. We've got uh, several folks in the chat. Jose mentioned that uh, the SEC championship was a good game, and it was a very good game, actually. That was the only football game that I watched this year, uh, and it was very good. Uh Uh-oh says, uh, you guys' show podcast is fantastic. I just want to say that your efforts are appreciated and you make a difference. Solidarity forever. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Luis says, local 396. Jess Lee says, Jess here, local 728. Six-year part-timer and union steward on Griffin, Georgia Preload. Uh, Proud member of Teamsters Mobilize and the LGBTQ Plus Caucus. Very cool. Glad to have you in the chat. Scott says, I think this show is a valuable news source for unions. I appreciate that. Uh, we hope to be quirky geek girl says good morning from Toronto. Yes, thank you. Um, Stidham Family Gospels back in the chat. Hey, y'all, UAW Local 952 Bargaining Committee person from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Keep up the good work, says Adam. <clears throat> Alex says good morning, Labor Family Teamsters Local 766 here. Glad I made it in time this week. Um, Jess was uh, not aware that uh, prisoners do regular day-to-day jobs. Indeed, they do. At least in Alabama. I don't know if they do in Georgia. I mean, probably they do because Georgia's pretty similar to Alabama. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it's better over there. Um, let's see. Da-da-da. Uh, uh, Jose says prison labor should be represented by a union. Uh, yeah, they absolutely should. Um. Yeah, and there has been some really interesting organizing happening over the years uh, to try to to build prisoner unions. Mm-hmm. Uh, remi- there have been two strikes in Alabama since we started the show. Very big strikes, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so you've had the Free Alabama movement here um, in Alabama working on that kind of organizing, and one of the uh, leaders of that movement is actually involved in this litigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I also want to shout out the chapter in Kim Kelly's book, Fight Like Hell, where she talks about incarcerated labor uh, and some of the organizing efforts over the years um, that have often, you know, dealt with difficult obstacles, to put it mildly. G. Sizzle Rips mentions that uh, his appeal of his termination is at the president's office uh, slash the International Executive Board of the UAW as we speak. The local leaders have done nothing but protect management, uh, saying that wine garden rights and safety and standardized work violations are not being enforced in the contract. Best of luck in getting that resolved. Um, 
like Pac says, says Jose, uh, we have money for wars but can't feed the poor. Indeed. Um, Jada is a teacher in Florida, apparently, and says, uh, we just got our report cards here. It's such a distraction. Yeah, that's uh, uh, seems seems that way. Yeah, I'm happy for the ones that did well, and, you know, that's great, but it just makes me uncomfortable, you know, the way it's, it's such a focus um, because I think it, it doesn't share an accurate snapshot of everything that's going on, and uh, as Jada points out, there's just so many issues uh, that comes into this testing, and um, again, you know, kids could pass a test if, if they had food and clean clothes and stable shelter, um, and those are, re those are issues that, frankly, the education community is not speaking out on. When's the last time you saw the education community in Alabama come out for these sorts of investments, these sorts right. of pro-family values investments. Right. Um, why is it? You know, uh, Republicans talk about, well, oh, the AEA is so powerful. If they're right. so powerful, why don't we even have paid maternity leave yeah. for a profession that's like 80% female? Yeah. All right? So don't give me that. Uh, Caveman7 says, 31-year Teamster in North California, this is the lightest peak season I have ever seen. Um, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, I've that seen some conversation yeah. there in the chat about that uh, from different UPS folks. So I don't know what that means. Uh, and I mean, I know what it means, but I don't know if, you know. If, if that's good or bad. <laughs> well, I, you know, if, yeah, is, is are people doing less, uh, less online shopping this year? Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. That's, I guess we'll find out when some of the big, big economic numbers come out after Christmas. But um, that'll be interesting. Brandon Hill, good morning, TVLR crew. Good morning, Brandon. Spin me as a sailcloth, said my union is UFCW Local 3000. And sometimes I feel like they do not do enough for our members. Do you have any recommendations on how to address this? Who boy? Uh, that's a big That's a big question. That's, um, a bit, that's a whole episode. Yeah, that's a whole episode. And actually, you know, I had been kind of under the... I had, I had for some reason been under the impression that UFCW Local 3000 was a was like one of the good ones <laughs> for UFCW uh, because UFCW has uh, several locals that are like that uh, user spin me as a sailcloth uh, that are not very great is my understanding but I had I had heard good things about 3000 but maybe I'm mistaken or I'm mixing it up with a different local um, but you know labor notes is a good uh, the uh, because we don't have a whole episode uh, to spin on that right now, I would just recommend you take a look at Labor Notes, labornotes.org, and uh, to read uh, by their book, Democracy is Power. Um, Democracy is Power. What's the subtitle on that one? Democracy is Power. Yeah, well, really. Rebuilding Unions from the Bottom Up by Martha Gruella and Mike Parker. It's a really great book. Uh, so check that out. Yeah, I do recommend checking out Labor Notes. Uh, you know, even if you can't get the book, there's plenty of resources available from some of their blog posts, some of their articles that addresses this kind of phenomenon. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's out there, and we as a movement have to be honest about that. Uh, you know, we're as pro-union as they come. We are union evangelists. We, we preach every week the need to organize new unions and to join unions. Uh, but that also includes strengthening our existing unions and making them more accountable to the membership, making them more democratic, making them more vibrant, uh, because ultimately that makes us stronger, right? Yeah. 
and so uh, I do recommend check that out. Um, the other thing I would say is um, there are reform efforts out there in that union as well as others. Um, those could be people to look to, to connect with. Uh, and regardless of whether you connect with them, connecting with members in your local is really going to be the most important thing uh, because if you have that opinion are there other people with that opinion and if so y'all should chat yeah and see where those chats go maybe that means y'all run for office next time uh maybe it's forming a caucus of some kind um maybe it's just being more strategic in how you approach the meetings and how you approach uh concerns you submit to leadership and uh, you know, really mastering some of those parliamentary procedures and things of that nature, you know, just getting more organized. But um, those are just some initial thoughts. And yeah, we could spend a whole episode there, but I just want to give you encouragement. Um, you know, Labor Notes does a session that, that says my, my union, what to do when my union breaks my heart or breaks your heart. Um, and so I just want to give you encouragement to stay strong um, and to build relationships with your your union siblings to see if you can make things better um unfortunately in america a lot of times we're we're trained to just have this like automatic response where oh well things aren't going well i should just quit you know and people will drop out of the union because they had a bad experience when really it's an opportunity to make it better and to make it more accountable to us because these are i mean we don't have many institutions in america that are for working people um I, I don't know of very many at all and so these are our institutions for better or worse we've got to make the best of them uh and that's what i would encourage you to do yep have we got daniel in the chat or in the zoom i mean uh no we do not okay gotcha then uh let us talk about do we need to talk about the old football coach oh okay uaw yeah yeah yeah. let's let's get to that um so we told y'all the other day how the uaw had called for a ceasefire um they did that at a rally in dc the announcement was made by region 9a director brandon mencia and last week on Thursday, I think it was. Maybe it was Thursday. Uh, Sean Fain spoke at a Unions for Ceasefire rally uh, with several other folks, and he gave a really good speech, and I wanted to play that for you here. Of what humanity is and can be. The UAW is proud to stand here with our fellow union family, with Congresswoman Cori Bush, Rashida Tlaib, who happened to be a couple of the most badass representatives in Congress. But we stand together to call for peace and to call for a ceasefire. You know, this is a product of our belief in humanity that innocent civilians must be protected. You know, we cannot bomb our way to peace. The only path forward is to build peace and social justice, it's through a ceasefire. You know, as a UHW, you know, we take pride in our history of standing up for justice at home and around the, around the world, around the globe. You know, throughout our history, we're a union that's always spoken up for civil rights and human rights time and time again. That said, I want to be clear. What we're calling for today 
a ceasefire. It's what the global community is currently standing together for. That's right. At the United Nations, it's what the majority of nations called for. And right here in America, it's what the majority of American citizens want. Yes. You know, the world's seen enough slaughter and devastation. Peace is the only path forward. While we call for a ceasefire, we also condemn anti-Semitism, right. yeah. Islamophobia, right. yeah. anti-Arab racism, right. all of which are growing in our nation at this moment and must be stopped. Right. You know, we know unions provide a bridge toward fighting all forms of hatred, phobias, racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, Islamophobia, and more. As union members, we know we must fight for all workers and suffering people around the world. We must fight for humanity. That means we must restore people's basic rights and allow water, food, yes. fuel, that's right, that's right. humanitarian aid to enter Gaza. Right. We must also call for the release of all hostages. Right. I thank our UAW members for speaking out and pushing us to come out in support of a ceasefire. Right. It was the right thing to do. So now it's time for the rest of our elected leaders to step up and do what it takes to end the violence. Yes. And I call on the rest of the labor movement to join us in this mission for peace and social justice for all of humanity. So thank you. Uh, UAW leading on uh, on this uh, as they are on many issues and uh, I wanted to illustrate a little bit um, you know for folks here in Alabama who may be listening uh, or in the south you know we are are much much more familiar with with Christians and Christianity than we are with Muslims and Islam and people really forget that there are Christians in Palestine um, there are Christians that are being killed by the Israeli military, and um, there are Christians in the West Bank uh, under, um, you know, uh, occupied by Israel that are, um, you know, that, that are protesting in their own way. And uh, this, I thought, was a very poignant uh, video from a Christian in Bethlehem uh, where Jesus was born. Uh, talking about um, what uh, what they're doing or, or not doing for Christmas this year. Let's play that. Christmas celebrations are canceled this year in Bethlehem for obvious reasons. It's impossible to celebrate when there is a massacre, a genocide taking place uh, in Gaza with our people. And so the idea was to send a message to the world first, but also to ourselves. A message to the world that this is what Christmas looks like in Palestine, this is what Christmas looks like in Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. Children pull, being pulled from under the rubble, uh, families being displaced with their homes uh, destroyed. Uh, and while the world is celebrating Christmas, at the birthplace of Jesus, this is what Christmas uh, looks like. This is usually a season for celebrations and also a season for hope. 
Is there hope left? We have hope in our faith. Uh, we have hope. Uh, the Christmas story actually gives us hope in the fact that Jesus was born among the occupied. This is what happened 2,000 years ago. Uh, and so going back to this uh, manger setting, uh, it tells us that baby Jesus is in solidarity with those who are suffering, with those who are uh, oppressed. So in this Christmas, uh, we find our only source of hope is, is our faith uh, in a just God and in our solidarity uh, with one another. And I hope that this message gets to the world, that we are united uh, in Palestine. Uh, and sadly, right now, we are united uh, in our pain. There's so much detail going on here at building this manger. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you placed uh, the manger and all those details? Yeah, the, the image basically came from uh, what we see on our screens, children being pulled out of the rubbles and uh, people coming and searching under the rubble to find any sign uh, of life, any sign of hope. These images have broken us and we wanted uh, to bring them uh, to the church. And usually uh, a typical manger would have uh, baby Jesus in the middle and then the holy family, uh, the shepherds and the magis surrounding him. Uh, but this time around, we, we thought of uh, all these characters in the baby, uh, in the gospel narrative, in the Christmas narrative, uh, being around the house as if they are searching for Jesus, as if they are trying to find him in the So um, there's another article back in November from Al Jazeera about the Christian community in Palestine um, quoting uh, Mitri Rahib, an evangelical Lutheran pastor and founder of Dar al-Kalima University in Bethlehem. He said it was conceivable that the current conflict would spell the end of its long history in this strip of land. This community, the Christian community, is under threat of extinction, Rahab told Al Jazeera. I'm not sure if they will survive the Israeli bombing, and even if they survive, I think many of them will want to emigrate. We know that within this generation, Christianity will cease to exist in Gaza. In the West Bank, Christians are on a stronger footing with more than 47,000 people living there, according to a 2017 census, but violence and persecution have unsettled the community there, too. Attacks on clergy and churches has quadrupled this year compared to last year, Rahab, whose academic institution documents such events, said. On January 26th, this was before, uh, you know, even this last, uh, you know, the, the current um, bombardment in Gaza, January 26th, a mob of Israeli soldiers attacked an Armenian bar in the Christian quarter of the old city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, shouting, deaths to Arabs, deaths to Christians. A couple of days later, Armenians leaving a memorial service in the Armenian quarter were attacked by Israeli settlers carrying sticks. An Armenian was pepper sprayed as settlers scaled the walls of the Armenian convent trying to take down its flag, which had a cross on it. I mean, just really, you know... This is really serious stuff that's happening in Israel, and it's happening in large part because of the funding of the United States. And so that's why it's important to understand what's going on there and to speak out against it. Because um, we're all paying for it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, bad, uh, you know, when, when wicked things happen all over the world, it's bad enough. Um, you know, I, there are atrocities happening uh, all over the world in Sudan, uh, in particular, is going through a rough patch. Uh, but but the reason that the Israeli conflict is so, uh, you know, is on the mind of so many is because, like, like Adam said, it is we are paying for it. We are paying for 
the extinction of Christians in Gaza. The United States of America. That's what we're paying for. We are paying for the propping up of a society that is attacking Christians in the old city of Jerusalem, saying death to Christians, right? I mean, people talk about Christians being persecuted in this country, and that's, you know, anybody who, who is, is remotely serious understands that that is, that is silly to think about Christian persecution in this country. But we are paying for Christian persecution in Israel, in, in territories occupied by Israel. <clears throat> really disturbing. Really disturbing stuff, and so that's why it's all the more important that you know that the UAW is out front on this, that they are not just signing their names to the paper and not just letting lower-level leadership you know, take the heat for this, but that you've actually got Sean Fain uh, going out and being strong in his support for humanity, uh, for uh, Jewish people and Muslim people and Arab people and Palestinians. Uh, and so it's really great to see, really great to see. Yeah, and, and I was just going to say, I think yeah. the fact that UAW in particular, because of the size of UAW, because of the reputation, uh, and because right now it is is the union that's on fire the most, right, you would think, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just the energy behind it, um, I think the fact that they have taken such a clear stand will hopefully encourage other folks in the labor movement to take a stand as well uh, and to feel more confident in doing so. Because it's the right thing to do. Yep. Yep. Have we got Daniel in the Zoom now? Uh, we do not. Oh, no. I was sure that we had the... Um, maybe he's maybe he's caught up. Hopefully he'll, he'll be able to jump on here in a moment. But nevertheless, um, let's talk about Tupperville then. Um. Yeah, I'm already irritated uh, at Tupperville just from the articles. Yeah. The articles title. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm irritated at Yellowhammer News. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very irritating. So the headline of the article is Tupperville opposing Department of Labor rule placing union pressure. On foreign farm workers. Now, you know, this, uh, and that is that is what Tupperville is saying, but obviously, you know, the people at Yellowhammer News uh, taking that to be the article as if that is a fact and as if that is what ha- what's happening, you know, they're uh, just running propaganda for... Uh, for you know the people that that you know donate to their campaigns and the campaigns of the politicians that they like, um, but so what happened uh, is that Tommy Tupperville joined some other Republicans uh, in a letter expressing opposition to a rule that they say would give unions the ability to pressure temporary foreign agriculture workers into becoming members. Quote, the proposed rule advances unionization on U.S. farms by making H-2A workers vulnerable to pressure the senator said in the letter. It opens these workers up to coerced unionization and deprives workers of an informed choice about whether to unionize. I mean, just so, so silly. Well, and and don't you know, Senator Coach Tommy Tuberville is very concerned about coercion of migrant farm workers. Right, right. And, and, and so, you know, 
I talked about the the pretend, you know, defense of American workers against the scourge of undocumented and exploitable labor. And so here again, we have another example that there is he is protecting the H2A program, which is used to, in large part, legally undermine U.S. labor, right? Because these people in the H2A program, you have to you have to be sponsored by an employer, and so you can imagine that you know the incentives do not align for these workers to be able to uh, you know uh, report their employers when they are abusing them, right? He says the proposed rule is unnecessary and will harm American consumers, American agriculture, and the H-2A workers themselves. Obviously not true. Obviously a lie. Here's from the. Here's another thing from the uh, 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 from their letter. It'll place an undue burden, burden on American farmers um, because currently the D- Department of Labor grants H-2A visas to employers to hire temporary foreign workers to address agricultural workforce needs. Employers request these visas because they face a shortage of domestic workers. And so if you actually care about the uh, the well-being of, you know, the American workforce, you need to make sure that when there is a, if there is such a thing as actually a workforce shortage, you need to make sure that that is not a fig leaf for paying low wages and for using what really, in a lot of cases, amounts to slave labor uh, in, in a lot of these uh, in a lot of these instances. And over the course of doing Boss Watch, we have actually uh, gone over instances where people who have used the H two A visa program have been achu- accused of literally having a slave labor regime. It will also hurt American families who are already having a hard time making ends meet. Under Bidenomics, food prices have soared. Bread, baby formula, and frozen fruits and vegetables are up almost 25% since January 2021. If this rule is adopted, food prices will increase even more. And so here's the thing. If food prices increase, why is that? Who is the one that decides whether or not the food prices increase? It's the companies. It's not the workers or the Department of Labor. But... If food prices need to increase such that people who are agricultural workers can make a good living, then they need to increase, right? It's not worth it to be able to buy a banana for 25 cents if 25 cents is all that the workers make in a whole day, right? You just, some things, and we actually talked to an immigration attorney on the program several years ago who was talking about how, you know, how low the wages are for agricultural workers in the United States. And we got a caller who was talking about how, well, you know, if they don't do that, then the price of lettuce is going to go up. And so that's why we have to keep exploiting these migrants. Which like, A, assumes that there's not room in the profit margins already of big ag to sustain living wages, which I think is a false assumption. And B, yeah, that it's worth it for you to maintain low prices uh, at, at the expense of this highly exploited workforce. Um, yep. Yeah, it's it's messed up. And I really resent Tupperville and his colleagues for this sort of resentment they're trying to stoke. Um, 
you know, oh, these scary unions, they might unionize these farm workers who might then get a raise, which then might make your food prices go up. And, uh, right. you know, you should be scared about that. It's just ridiculous. Yep, yep, yep. And, and it's also not even really attached to what the rule would do. Um, it's not as if this rule, like the DOL is passing a rule, and then all of a sudden all the farm workers are now suddenly unionized. Um, you know, it's it's not that. It's just providing a more level playing field for the unions to be able to organize. Yep. And so, actually, we did we we pulled a uh, fact sheet from uh, farm worker justice group talking about what it actually does. And so, what it actually does is there are um, you know around collective action and labor organizing activities. It would expand H two A workers' access to labor unions by giving labor organizations a narrow right of access to employer provided housing. It would also require employers to provide a list of workers to a requesting labor organization, permit workers to designate a representative to attend any meeting between a worker and the employee, employer where the worker reasonably believes that the meeting may lead to discipline, and prohibit employers from holding captive audience meetings unless the employer provides certain information to ensure that such meetings are not coercive. And uh, so, you know, this is all really important stuff, especially because when you think about H-2A workers, a lot of them have employer-provided housing. That means they never actually really leave the farm. So in order to talk to them about the rights that they have in this country to organization, to representation, to unionization, you have to be able to get into the employer-provided housing. Uh, in certain, you know, you have to be able to get into that area. Obviously, this would not allow you to just a union organizer to break down the door, right? But you can get in that area, and that's important, and it's necessary. And providing a list of uh, workers, also very important, because the employer has all that information. And so the, the labor organizations that are interested in, in talking to these workers about organization should have that too. And being able to designate a representative also very important because when you think uh, again a lot of these workers are or these workers are definitionally immigrants and so therefore a lot of them do not know the uh the labor rules in this country and so being able to designate a representative who is knowledgeable about labor rules generally but also the H2A visa program specifically would be incredibly important and could be life changing for these people Another uh, clarification in the new rule would be the clarification of, of just cause in termination. And it would define termination for cause by proposing six criteria that must be satisfied to ensure that disciplinary or and or termina termination processes are justified and reasonable and that disciplinary actions are documented. These proposed changes will help to ensure employers do not arbitrarily and unjustly terminate workers whose visa is tied to their employment. Again, this is obvious. If your visa is tied to your employment, the country, the United States, should do everything in our power to make sure that that is not wielded over you in an unjust way. 
Another uh, addition to the rule is around transportation safety. It would require the provision, maintenance, and wearing of seat belts in some employer-provided transportation, which would reduce the hazards associated with agricultural worker transportation. Essentially, if a vehicle is manufactured with seat belts, the proposed rule would require the employer to retain and maintain those seat belts in good working order and ensure that each worker is wearing a seat belt before the vehicle is operated. Around passport and document withholding, it would directly prohibit an employer from confiscating and holding a worker's passport, visa, or other immigration or government identification document. And this change would better protect workers from potential labor trafficking. So these are all uh, really important things. And this is what, like, think about what what I've been talking about. This is all, none of this is radical stuff. None of this is, you know, I'm going to turn over the... Uh, ownership of the farm to any union, the first union that, that that runs up to the door. This is all incredibly modest and moderate and reasonable things. And these are the things that Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville is opposing. <clears throat> I mean, genuine, like, wicked, wicked stuff. Mm. Very frustrating seeing that. And seeing the people that are buying it too, right? I mean, some people are actually actually think that oh, that uh, this you know <clears throat> this new rule is uh, it's just big government for no reason coming in and trying to tell poor farmers, poor American farmers, what they can do for no reason. Yeah, uh, not poor farmers. Yeah. Employers exploiting migrant workforces. That's it. That's, yeah, different scenario. Uh, but Tommy Tuberville has never met a corporate interest that he won't back. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but Jacob, yeah, I want to let you know we do have Daniel in the Zoom. Uh, Fantastic. Been looking forward to hearing what's going on over in the Scandinavian countries, uh, in Sweden in particular, uh, with Tesla. So looking forward to this conversation. So Daniel Sweden is the political editor of Arbitet, which is a uh, Swedish labor news outlet, and uh, they have been covering very extensively the conflict between Tesla and Scandinavian workers. Uh, so I wanted to get one of them to come on and talk to me. Um, so Daniel, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. No worries. Great to be here. Yeah, and apologies for mixing up the time. I don't know how that happened, but I told him I told him eleven fifteen our time, six forty five his time, which does not make sense <laughs> at all. No, uh, it does not. Uh, that's not how the time that's not zones how time work. Zones work. So I apologize, Daniel. I, I could I have checked checked that up myself. I just no, no. Uh, trusted in you. No, that's, no, that's my, my last time trusting no. you. I, that's right. Yeah, you shouldn't trust me. I uh, that's, <laughs> but I appreciate your uh, I appreciate your time uh, talking to us. Arbitet is the name of your organization. What does that mean in English? Uh, the work or the labor. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, like it. a <clears throat> the name is uh, very old in Swedish uh, uh, Swedish uh, working class working movement uh, labor movement history uh, and. Um, it was the name of a newspaper, a daily newspaper that uh, in the early uh, 2000s went uh, broke uh, and we could take over the name 
so our, uh, our newspaper is almost 100 also, but before we were called uh, El Lutinian, that's the trade mm. union newspaper. So um, we wanted to kind of uh, uh, show our roots and uh, also uh, make it more uh, clear that we are not the mouthpiece of the trade union confederation, but we are a, a, new, a newspaper in our own right, covering mm. trade union issues and working right. place issues. And I'm the political editor, as you said, uh, and in a way I'm the more, I, I have a more capacity to talk about, I can take sides. Right, right. There you go. Well, uh, taking sides is something that we are in favor of, uh, especially when the sides mm. are uh, workers and bosses. I think those are uh, pretty easy to take a, uh, to take the worker's side on. And and so we uh, brought you on to talk about the Tesla conflict, but we, I wanted to give folks a background about the Swedish labor model. And, and you know, I think there's a, there's a very similar labor model in the other Scandinavian countries. But, but can you talk to us about the Swedish labor model and, and give us just a, a, some some background and some explanation about what that is and how y'all set up labor relations in your country. Yeah, um, just to start with a sort of a historical context, in the early 1930s, uh, Sweden experienced the highest number of labor market conflict days in Europe, uh, and that was conflicts that the politicians were not, unable to stop. So in the late uh, in the late 1938, uh, a solution was achieved via the Saltsjöbaden Agreement, an agreement uh, concluded directly between employers and employees. Uh, and eight years, and, and they 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 uh, got together and decided that we are going to take uh, make the rules for the labor market. So eight years after this agreement, Sweden experienced the lowest number of labor market conflict days in Europe, and that stands. Um, and why is that? Uh, we like to believe that it, it is because of this model that we have, and the, the foundation for that model is the collective agreements. Uh, so in Sweden, uh, the total proportion of members of trade unions in Sweden was just under 72% for women last year, and over 65% uh, when you look at the men. Mm. And uh, nine of 10 workers are covered by collective agreements. And as I said, that's the basis of the labor market model in Scandinavia and in Sweden. And that's, this means that the trade unions and the employers' organizations determine the rules of the game in the labor market without interference from the state or politicians. Uh, this means that there is no minimum wage in Sweden. There is actually no legislation stipulating the wages should be paid at all. Uh, collective agreements are the only way uh, to define how much a worker should be paid for the work performed in Sweden. And the collective agreements, they include wages, forms of employment, occupational pension, working hours, vacations, and periods of notice. So and that's so that... the... Oh, go ahead. Uh, that's the basis of it, I, I, I like to think. Right, right. And and I, I think that that makes sense, and, and that makes it all the more, you know, existential, I guess you could say, when foreign companies try to come in and they are they, they try not to follow that Swedish labor model because uh, because since there is no minimum wage and there there are uh, you know not very many you know laws around mm. uh, you know the workplace, 
uh, if that if the labor model of you know the unions and the employers being able to set the working conditions if that falls apart then there's really not much left protecting the um, protecting Swedish workers and so it when foreign companies come in and try to disrupt that it really becomes an existential threat and this has happened this sort of thing has happened several times in the past and in particular it seems like uh, with U.S. companies, uh, they seem to be the uh, the uh, the main antagonist in, in these sort of stories. Um, and you were uh, 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 you were there for and 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 uh, and, and you were around and, and watching as the situation happened with Toys R Us, right? Can you talk to us a little bit about what happened with Toys R Us? It, Toys R Us is it's a little too early for my time. I'm only forty years old, but. Um, um, the Toys R Us uh, situation, uh, it's uh, 20 years ago. So when Toys R Us opened stores in Sweden in 1995, it's almost 30 years ago, uh, they refused to sign a collective agreement with the Commercial Employees Union. And the company argued that they had never signed an agreement of this kind with the union anywhere in the world, and they did not intend to do it in Sweden either. Uh, the issue uh, regarding Toys R Us partly revolved around the employer's desire to set salaries arbitrarily. Mm. Uh, so union members at the Toys R Us stores uh, also sounded the alarm uh, to the union about the anti-democratic personal culture where management tried to control employees down to smallest detail. Uh, and many thought in Sweden by the time it was futile to try to fight an inter international giant corporation. Uh, this was just after, um, as you know, the, the Berlin Wall had broken down and the whole um, neoliberal um, tidal wave, so to speak, was sweeping over. Uh, Sweden had just joined the European Union and uh, the time was, everyone was talking about this is the, there's a new time dawning uh, and the old ways are dying. Uh, it's futile to uh, to stand up for something that uh, was a thing of the past. Uh, but the union, of course, argued that it was impossible to give up because it would mean that the entire model of collective agreements would be put out of play. Um, and that is also what the industrial and workers unions are saying about Tesla, which we will talk about more later. Uh, but anyway, in May in 1995, the Toys R Us Toys R Us stores in Gothenburg and Malmö, that's our big two second biggest cities in Sweden, went on strike. And after a few days, the strike also spread to Stockholm, our capital city. And the union was uh, criticized by right-wing press and right-wing politicians, but had very strong support from their own members and also from uh, the citizens of Sweden. The very important thing that happened then is that the, the other trade unions declared secondary action, or as we call it in Sweden, sympathy measures. Mm. Uh, so members of the transport union, transport transport workers union refused to deliver to Toys R Us, and white collar uh, unions like the finance union blocked all economic transactions to and from Toys R Us. And uh, in late summer of that year, the management of Toys R Us gave up. And they signed a collective agreement with um, uh, the the union, but and in so what... 2018, the, the Scandinavian owners of Toys R Us 
filed for bankruptcy, so they're not in in Sweden any right. anymore after all. Yeah, they uh, <clears throat> they they went bankrupt in the United States around that time too. Mm. Um, yeah, and so the uh, uh, what did uh, around that time? What were the 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 right wing press saying? You know, because it, unlike in America, you know, like you said, this is really part of the Swedish culture and society, and so 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 it it. It's difficult to imagine, you know, people with much of a base getting away with attacking this sort of arrangement. What were they saying? And then what what were, you know, did they have any sort of base in the public? Not really. As I said, the the, the citizens supports this model. But what, what the right-wing press and the right-wing politicians often say when we are striking in Sweden uh, is that... Um, and it's also it's that the secondary action is the big issue here. Mm. Uh, we don't want any other sectors to be affected by um, or to, to to go into the conflict. So if it's a conflict at a workshop, why should um, the cleaners step out, uh, strike uh, in right. sympathy with them? So that's that's almost and that's the same thing you can see with the Tesla conflict now. Uh, secondary action is the kind of the, the painful thing about uh, the Swedish model for the right-wing press and the right-wing politicians and uh, also the employers. But right. uh, it was them that wanted it in the big uh, agreement from the 1930s because they argued then, 100 years ago, that if we have uh, a secondary action and strong protection from secondary action, the conflicts will be over very fast. So they wanted to have mm -hmm. that. So it was their their idea to put it into the big uh, agreement from and the beginning. But now they are they are not uh, big fans of it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. And so, how is it that uh, I wonder what what is the sort of rhetoric that that your right wing press and politicians use in Sweden? Because in America, <clears throat> there the the rhetoric really centers around freedom and liberty and all this kind of mm. stuff and it, and it's difficult for me to to kind of um uh uh marry this rhetoric around oh i'm i'm right wing and that means i love freedom mm. with i support uh the government making illegal workers going on sympathy strikes Right. I mean, it's, you know, being able to go on a sympathy strike is a measure of freedom that we we do not legally have in the United mm. States. And so uh, mm. what is the you know, what are the arguments that they're putting forward against sympathy strikes? Because it can't be about freedom because the workers are utilizing their freedom and their liberty to make their, you know, make their opinions and, and wishes known. You could even say, in a sense, they're voting with their dollars, right? Which is something that capitalists love. Yeah, but I, I think the rhetoric is quite the same. Uh, there, There is a kind of a, uh, a superficial um, support for the collective agreement and everyone's saying it's, it's mm. great that, uh, that the unions are giving employers, uh, the giving employees, uh, and and, and uh, a chance to join the collective agreement. Uh, there's um, it's um, it's not optional, uh, but uh, 
the well well the thing they are saying that it's it's getting out of hand when we have secondary action uh, people who are not in this conflict uh, it's not about them why should they stop to do mm -hmm. this and that just to punish uh, uh, a company or an employee uh, employer who uh, is um, uh, having a, 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 a something to settle with another union so it, it, it's the same thing I, 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 that you hear in America I, I guess right right they call it and... freedom but I uh, we left wing <laughs> and right wing our our outlook on freedom is not the same I like to think right yeah yeah I I, I agree I think that I, I think freedom is very important I I'm a big fan of freedom I'm a big fan of liberty <laughs> yeah. uh, but but I think that it, it should be the the workers who have the freedom and the liberty and I'm not as concerned with uh, you know the the property rights of, of the capitalists <laughs> their freedom to do with to do with us and our society what they will um and and mm. so one more um, question on background and and then I'm, I'm interested in, in in diving into the specifics of of the tesla situation is in america we have really been seeing a resurgence at least in interest of the labor movement and i don't know how uh how much y'all have been tracking this in sweden but in the last year in particular and and less so but but still to a certain extent over the last four or five years there's been a lot more interest in in labor in the United mm. States. Uh, it got up to approval of unions, got up to 70%. It's at almost 90% among people under 30. Um, lots of people express an interest in joining unions. Uh, double the amount of people went on strike last year, as did the year before. And... Um, the, there, there's just, a, a, you know, the UAW went on strike last year. They won very, uh, you know, lucrative contracts. Uh, UPS did the same, uh, or Teamsters did the same at UPS. And so there's a lot of excitement and energy and interest in unions right now in the United States. Is there a similar thing happening in Sweden uh, and, and then maybe in Scandinavia and Europe more broadly? Uh, I'd say not really, hmm. sadly. Uh, we can see that um, unionizing, uh, we have our levers are through the roof historically, but we can see the the, um, the share of union members are falling down, and especially in the working class uh, businesses, uh, mm -hmm. the working class unions, uh, white collar unions are performing very much stronger, uh, and I think that's it's a problem. Uh, of course, um, but I think maybe that this kind of strike that you see now with Tesla uh, is maybe uh, maybe it is an argument for people to join. Mm. But we have a, a, a working market, uh, a labor market that is quite, uh, you know, we are members of the European Union, so our borders and how people can migrate for work uh, is more is more open now than it was just 20 years ago and we have a big political discussions about something that, that we are calling um the shadow society and mm. that's like um, people who are working yeah the same the same issues you have in america i guess with migrant workers mm. uh, people who are uh, working at uh, building sites and all things like that we had a big um accident this week when five people died when a 
lift crashed. Mm. Um, so and that's in the, very big in the news now. So we are we are having a kind of a it's a comeback for the uh, economic workplace uh, issues in a political term. So we are talking mm. about it more now, and we also to that we have the Tesla strike. Uh, so it's the shares of the members are getting fewer, but uh, maybe we can have uh, like a, a epiphany or something, mm. uh, a, a, a new a new interest for these issues mm. and why it's important to be in the union and what 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 the union are, so right. to speak. Here's hoping. Um, so so let's talk about Tesla then. Where are what's the lay of the land right now? With the conflict between Tesla and uh, and and workers in Sweden and Scandinavia. Yeah, uh, I I I start uh, six years ago, because <laughs> that's when the IF EF Metal, which are mm. the trade union for industrial and metal workers, uh, six years ago they started to try to negotiate for a collective agreement with Tesla's subsidiary in Sweden, uh, but they had been turned down, and uh, Tesla said. Uh, the subsidiary said that collective agreements are not included in our business model. Uh, and during this time, Tesla has grown enormously in Sweden. Tesla cars are increasingly visible on our roads and new service centers and workshops have been established all over the country. And the issue is just not about a handful of service technicians anymore. Uh, the union um, are saying that uh, if we let a large company like Tesla uh, get away uh, if they don't do not sign a collective agreement it becomes very difficult to motivate others to have collective agreements mm. uh, and the swedish model has an achilles heel if it is if it is to work and have uh, it requires that the vast majority of employees are covered uh, we are talking about it sometimes as a house of cards if you pull out a card it is easy for the whole house to collapse mm. um, and this conflict uh, comes at a time when more large American companies, such as Amazon, are establishing themselves in Sweden, and where the coll collective bargaining model is challenged by so-called gig jobs, where companies try to claim that their drivers or bicycle couriers are not employees, but independent contractors. Mm. So that's the, the the background for all of this. So when when uh, EF Metal issued its strike notice in early October, it did not so only to secure the condition for these uh, 130-some service technicians. From the union's point of view, the conflict is also necessary to secure the survival of the Swedish model, just as uh, when we talked about the Toys R Us strike. So it's, they felt compelled to take action before it was too late. And the thing that happened then is when Tesla, in violation with uh, European Union legislation, they began mapping out who was in the union and who would strike. And then it emerged, emerged that strike breakers would be called in. And that made the whole uh, trade union movement mad. <laughs> uh, and now we have a big wave of secondary actions in Sweden. Unionists in the ports are refraining from unloading or handling deliveries of Tesla cars into Sweden. Reparations or service of electrical installation at Tesla or their charging stations are not to be performed. Tesla's, wor Tesla's workshops won't be cleaned. Letters and packages to and from Tesla will not be delivered. 
all upcoming service work and construction in their workshops will be halted. Painting and repainting of cars will be halted and their trash will not be picked up. And we see Finnish, Danish and Norwegian unions has announced secondary actions and a blockade against Tesla. No Tesla cars will go through Finland, Norway and Denmark to Sweden. So there is where it stands now. Uh, everyone is uh, striking, it seems. One of the um, one of the small wins that Tesla was hoping to get among these, you know, sympathy measures was against the postal unions. Uh, they were hoping to get the Swedish government to say, you know, basically that that postal services is a government service, and so therefore they cannot the the postal service postal service workers cannot be involved in these sympathy measures and they have to do this government service um regardless mm. of, of of whatever else is is my understanding and feel free to for, to to fill in any details or, or correct any any misunderstandings um but the uh but the swedish court said no they they can they can strike you <laughs> basically is is, yeah. is my understanding of what happened talk to us about how that case played out yeah, there is a legal dispute. It's not uh, it's not uh, over yet, but mm. it revolves around uh, the Tesla are suing the postal service for not delivering delivering registration plates that Tesla ordered from the Swedish transport agency, uh, and the the Swedish transport agency is the yeah the agency that are producing. Uh, registration plates, uh, and the reason that uh, the postal service are not delivering is that members of unions organizing postal workers are engaging in sympathy strikes with um, uh, the industrial union. Uh, so there's been a, in different courts uh, since like three weeks. Uh, and uh, now there came uh, uh, yesterday, uh, the, not, the high, not, not the, high, the high court, but the step under said that uh, you cannot have uh, the registration plates. So uh, Tesla has not won anything uh, in this uh, legal dispute. But when it will be uh, solved uh, at the highest uh, level, the unions are not to be in the courthouse. So they mm -hmm. are not, they, they cannot talk about it or their uh, view will not be listened to. So it's, it's, a, it's a conflict. Uh, with Tesla and the postal uh, service, so to speak. Mm. So it's it out of the hands of the unions. Right, right, right. Okay, I see. Um, and how is Tesla responding so far? Yeah, they are not saying anything. There was uh, in late October, I think, they, they uh, wanted to meet the unions to talk about this again. But the understanding from the unions is that this is not in the hands of uh, uh, the subsidiary that is in Sweden. This is uh, something that the Americans or maybe Elon Musk himself will decide upon. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. And he has, we were very um, uh, excited in Sweden when he finally tweeted something or xed right. something uh, about the the issues in Sweden, and he called it crazy. Mm -hmm. And that the thing he called crazy was the the fact that um, 
the registration plates could not be delivered. So that's right. the only thing we know that he has said uh, in in uh, in public. But n uh, nothing is really happening. The the latest thing that happened to yesterday was that the, the unions that are unionizing cleaners said that uh, no 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 the the the, um, the trash uh, they the trash. Um, mm. They said that after Christmas you will not have any trash trash delivered. Uh, or taken out anymore. So that's um, their um, their workshops will look like pigsties <laughs> in uh, in the new year. So I don't know how long they can hold out. And um, there is, of course, um, discussion in in Sweden and the and in the Swedish unions of what is a win for us in this um, mm. when the things stands as they are. Many people do believe that uh, Tesla will not, they will not uh, yield. So um, they will leave Sweden. And maybe that's a price that the unions are willing to pay. Mm. I mean, I, you know, there are other electric car makers, I, I think. Uh, and yeah. so I, I, you know, um, I think it would be <clears throat> unfortunate, but, but I agree. I, I think that, or, or I agree with their assessment that it would be a price worth paying um, if, if that's the uh, if that's what happens. I, I'm curious if there's any, um, and I guess this question is sort of psychologizing a little bit, but you know, Elon Musk really seems like a kind of a unique erratic character among mm. uh, the you know the owning class. Uh, I, I think that, and I wonder if that difference, or or if there is a difference. But I wonder if that's being discussed any among uh, in Sweden, you know, as a difference between, you know, Tesla and Toys R Us or McDonald's. You know, McDonald's and Toys R Us both it went through similar situations where these sympathy measures were were enacted and they ended up capitulating. Uh, but my view of organizations and companies like Tesla and, and Toys or, or or like Toys R Us and McDonald's would be more that they are they're less ideological and they just they just want to make money right and so if mm. if it, it, it that's kind of my understanding and so if it it is the case that signing a collective agreement in sweden is how we're going to be able to make the most money then i'll sign a collective agreement but it seems mm. like elon musk is really maybe maybe less driven by just making money and is more a re like a real kind of erratic ideologue who would be willing to to forego money so that he can maintain his ego or something is that being discussed somewhat it's being discussed there are some in the right-wing press some people who are really his fanboys mm. and uh, like talking about him is he's, he's changing the world uh, we cannot have uh, uh, swedish workers stop this uh, change maker on his big mission to uh, make a transition to green energy with his cars. Um, so, and and they are calling the the unions mafia and things like that. But from uh, I, I think you have a point because if you ask a Swedish capitalist, uh, they'd say in a well-functioning market economy, we want to compete on equal terms, mm -hmm. and the collective agreement in Sweden gives companies that opportunity. No one should be able to gain cost advantages by dumping wages. Competition assumes that the rules of the games are agreed upon, uh, and uh, for the time being, 
I, I mean, there are, of course, there are ideologically driven capitalists and um, employers in Sweden also. But as you said, if if this is the way we're making money in Sweden and we have like nine out of 10 workplaces that are covered by collective agreements, it's it's the name of the game. And and the, the collective agreement is just a, it's just a floor that you stand on. You can do whatever you want uh, yeah. if you just sign it. And the thing that happens when you sign a collective agreement is that uh, you as an employer are joining a employer's uh, organization. So that's you get support from them with all things like just as the, uh, a, a worker that is unionizing. Your company right. can also unionize, so to speak, when you join this. That that's the the thing also. So you get support from from other capitalists, other uh, businessmen. Right. Uh, well, uh, how is the public reacting? Uh, there was a big poll, yeah, maybe a month ago, and the people are. Um, yeah, they are. They are support. I think like seventy percent are supporting the strike, uh, and I, I know by we don't we don't strike that much in Sweden. But there is also when this uh, secondary action are coming into place, and people are now uh, Tesla owners are feeling that what the fuck I can't right. have my car <laughs> repaired, uh, and they are of course getting um, uh, getting angry. But the answer from the union and from people like me are like. The, the easiest way for you to have your car repaired is that you, uh, your, your, the owner uh, the, or the producer of your car are right. um, signing the collective agreement. Right. Um, but I think the support is really high. And there is like the strike, since we don't strike that much in Sweden anymore, there's an energizing feel about it. Because mm. uh, for, for the first time in a very long time, uh, we are. Uh, yeah, fighting for something that we in the left wing and the labor movement uh, has uh, not done for uh, quite quite a long time. Right. So it's a it's energizing the uh, left wing in Sweden, but the public well, supports the strike. Well, good good deal. Uh, well, it's it's uh, energizing for us over here, and and we look forward to seeing uh, hopefully a, a happy resolution, and ideally them signing uh, these collective agreements, and and that may hopefully mm. pave the way for the UAW here uh, to be able to make similar gains and 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 secure similar agreements. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I just think it, it's such an important struggle, and I applaud the unions in Sweden and Scandinavia for standing together and applaud the workers for standing up because it is a, a threat to the system. And, um, you know, we can't allow these corporations to move from country to country to country looking for uh, loopholes, looking for ways mm -hmm. to exploit us uh, and, and trying to duck and dodge unions. Um, so I really applaud the Swedish workers, the Scandinavian workers for doing this. It's important. Uh, and I think it is going to have ramifications on, you know, the labor movement across the globe, across across the mm. world. All of us are affected by this. Yeah, I can I can um, let you know that today news broke that 16 major Nordic institutional investors have sent a letter to Tesla, urging that the company reconsider its current stance on the union. The investors are, uh, I quote, mm. deeply concerned about the current conflict in Sweden. And, and uh, Danish investors have. It, 
the uh, Danish pension yeah. fund has already di divested yeah. from Tesla. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is the Nor the Norwegian uh, pension fund, uh, and they are these sixteen investors are saying that if Tesla do not change its position, it may be necessary to sell the shares in the company and leave the ownership. Yeah. But that's the last resort. So there's a pressure from kind of the whole society against Tesla right now. Right now, so right. it's. Uh, it's it's really fascinating to to see this play out. Daniel Sweden, political editor of Arbitet in Sweden. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, really cool to hear from our international comrades and and just hear what's going on in other countries. Um, it's easy for us in America to get in our own little silos and not think about what's happening elsewhere. Um, but you know these companies think globally, so labor has to think globally. Uh, it's very important, and really, I applaud them for yeah. real. It's uh, that's inspiring, you know, that everyone from the trash collectors to the mailman to uh, the port workers, everyone getting involved and in taking a stand for their fellow worker. Uh, and I think that is just really inspiring, and it's obvious why you know these sympathy strikes uh, are illegal in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, it would be, you know, it's funny, you know, the employers there in Sweden recognize the fact that this gives workers a lot more leverage, and therefore these disputes will be resolved quicker. Um, but, and I would agree with that, right? But uh, obviously, American employers are going to push back against any rights that we can fight for any power that we can build um but that's something that we need to get changed in our laws yep. you know and, and uh, i know people like to talk about the most pro-labor administration of all time supposedly that we we have in the white house um but i haven't heard the president say that sympathy strikes should be legalized right yeah. i would love to hear political candidates start to talk that language uh, and put the power back into the hands of working people. Yeah. Tony in the Zoom? Uh, let me check. Yeah, I think Tony may be in the Zoom. Uh, right. Yeah, Tony's Tony's with us. Um, I know things were running late this morning, so uh, yeah. Tony's on the road, but he is with us. Yeah, all right. Well, so Tony Rosario is, uh, um, he is from New York. He is the uh, Amazon division New uh, New York market lead organizer for the Teamsters. Um, also uh, on the Teamsters for a Democratic Union International Steering Committee and co-chair. Uh, Tony was on the show a couple of, uh, a year and a half, maybe 18, 18 months ago, um, talking about the preparations for the UPS campaign. Uh, so Tony's glad to have you back. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you guys using this platform to help get the word out and educate workers. Um, you guys do a really great job on this show, and I really do appreciate being back here. Hey, thanks. Ed. That that means a lot. Um, and so I reached out to you because you did a uh, webinar with TDU last week, um, and you released it released it on YouTube. Uh, it, the first part of it before you got into Q and A. Um, and, and I watched that, uh, and it was about contract enforcement. And this is something that we continually talked about through the campaign, and, and then uh, especially as it was ratified, 
um, that that we said and that we talked to rank and file folks and, and union leaders from the Teamsters that said this that you know okay the, these are this is what we've won now we're gonna have to hold UPS to it because it means less than the paper that it's written on if we don't enforce it right because UPS will get away with every single thing that they can even if they've said they won't. So this is a, a very important uh, webinar that y'all had last week and, and a very important conversation to, to be having over the next four and a half, five years uh, that this contract is, is uh, uh, slated for. That is absolutely correct, Jay. Um, so as you can, I mean, as most workers already know, um, you need a militant, educated, rank and file workforce to take on a greedy corporation. And we're doing exactly just that, educating our members, engaging them, making sure they're ready. The minute the ink dries on this contract, the company is violating. This is what they yeah. do. They want to push it and push the workers as far as they can. They don't look at it as a contract. They look at it as more of an outline. Right. They want to try to figure ways around it. They want to try to, you know, perceive some, certain language in ways that they want to perceive it. And it's our job to make sure our members know what the language means and how to fight it. And this TDU webinar was put together uh, again by the great staff of TDU who does a great job educating workers with their webinars. Um, and it was talking about our contract and how to enforce it. And it's really well done because it shows you, we, we bring you members from all over the country that are dealing with similar issues and show you how they get people together to fight against particular violations in the contract. Right. So can you talk to us about, um, let's say, you know, maybe three to five of the of the big wins that, that y'all are really proud of in your contract and then how you are going to uh, go about enforcing them? Well, um, some of the wins, if you heard some of what was being said in the webinar, were like a lot of new penalty, higher penalties on uh, grievances that can be put in. Like for example, supervisors working, it went from triple pay to quadruple pay. So now if you have a supervisor working and that particular supervisor is caught working uh, more than three times in a nine month period, if I'm not mistaken, I believe is the language, you can now file for triple pay. So that means that the worker who puts in that grievance for this supervisor who continues to violate and do bargaining unit work will be paid quadruple their salary, which right now for most part-timers, I believe it's slightly over $21 an hour. And, um, you know, quadruple, that's that's a nice chunk of change, especially if you catch the supervisor working for an hour or two hours. Yeah. And uh, what we're doing is we want the member to actually find the person working the most because there was longevity increases. So mm -hmm. members that have over five years are making more. Members that have over 10 years that are part-time workers are making even more. Let them file those grievances at quadruple pay and make the company really feel it. That's mm -hmm. just one. Another one is then, nine well, five really, grievances. I'm sorry, on, on that one, that money goes into the grievance yeah. pocket. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely, into the grievance pocket and we encourage our members for other members to file grievances is take that money, use it to do something for the members. Let them see what this money paid for. You know, uh, have a little pizza party in the lunchroom during break and say, hey, uh, my grievance is paid for this. 
you know, get some T-shirts, make some buttons, you know, file grievances buttons, whatever it is, just to try to start to get a little, um, you know, a little engagement from the other members. And when you got more than just one person filing grievances, obviously obviously it's a lot more powerful than just one person filing grievances. Right. So another thing is, uh, I mean, I'll just do... I'll do that one and two more to make it quick because we can keep going on this all day. Right. Uh, second one was penalty pay for, um, for example, pay shortages or pay errors. There have been a lot of payroll errors, Jacob. And I can tell you this from experience and from watching uh, a lot of the members deal with this. We have a new contract. There have been a lot of bumps in salary all across the board. And already UPS is mm. totally dropping the ball on paying people correctly. And again, you know, filing grievances, there's higher penalties also on those grievances as well. So you can really, you know, attack the company with many workers filing grievances on payroll issues and making sure that they do the right thing and pay their workers properly, because that's all we really want. They're saying they're rolling out a new system sometime around 2026 that's going to take care magically of all their payroll issues. I personally don't see that happening, but... If it doesn't happen, that's okay because we're going to keep filing grievances with all of our members and continue to make bank for those members as long as they continue to file grievances. And last but not least is the 9-5. I mean, again, there's many more, but we'll go on the penalty pay because that's what's really helping our workers and make extra money. And especially in the holiday season, putting money in our members' pockets for gifts for the family. Um, 9-5 grievances, as you know, a worker can go on a 9-5 list um, starting January 15th again, usually during the freeze period, during the seasonal work uh, uh, months. It's not available, but right into January 15th, we're already preparing members, get on that 9-5 list. They can't violate your 9-5 rights, meaning you can't, you don't have to work. You know, this is basically to help workers that are putting in too much overtime, that are being burdened with overtime. Mm. And if you violate their 9-5 rights, they can actually put in grievances for penalty pay on that. Uh, the 9-5 violations is, is also going up in salary. Um, also penalty, you know, quadruple time and things of that nature. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I got to look it over again. But yeah, that's a big one too. So you keep filing, keep getting money and making bank. You know, it's our, it's the workers are, you know, all the comp and we always say this, right? We're, they're making all this money off of our backs. It's about time that we can start getting chunks of money from them for the violations that they do. Right, right. And so you, the members can file grievances, not just stewards or, or officers. You're saying that members can go and do this themselves? Yes, sir. Absolutely. You do not have to be a steward or a business agent to file a grievance. And it is great when the members are talking to one another and filing them together. You don't want to just have one person always filing grievances. You want to have a group. That's what we teach in TDU. Make it a, a, a group thing. And not only that, start, you know, we've, we've built like all these huge uh, relationships with other locals, right? So it's not like just our local, it's other locals getting on board and starting to file those grievances as well. So you're not hitting them in just New York, you're hitting them in Rhode Island and Chicago and in California. Mm. Like, it, like everybody needs to file grievance, hold this company accountable to those violations. We fought hard to get this contract. It's up to us to enforce it. And we got to make it known that we're going to stand our ground everywhere. 
and so what about you know tdu was formed uh really you know to try to galvanize a a really you know sleepy and and in some instances corrupt union and and so in places where you have sleepy locals with management who is not or, or with uh, with leadership who is not very combative who you know they want to kind of side with the company more times maybe than they would sign with a uh, with a member who's filing these grievances what would your uh you know what would your advice be for members in locals like that where they have trouble getting support for their uh, uh for their union activities from their local well and there are many locals that have dealt with this when you find that you have leadership that's not doing what they should be doing by the members, you organize around them and you get a group of people that are willing to actually take on management and hold them accountable. You have to do that on your own. You have to put together a team, put together a strong organizing committee, a group of people that are, you know, basically out there trying to fight for the members and, you know, take them on. TDU has done this, numerous times and numerous locals they have helped workers that want to make a change where they know their local leadership isn't doing the things they should be doing to fight for their members and we're going to continue to do that um it's very important for members to to know that just because your local's not doing what they need to do doesn't mean that you can't fight it mm. you know it happened with us and our local our locals known right now 804 is probably one of the strongest locals in the country and it's only because of the last five years um, well, you know, we do have a history, but we've had our ups and downs. And a lot of times you have to change leadership to make it happen. And even with international leadership, you know, we change leadership at the top to make sure we fought for a more militant, stronger union. And we did it. It's not impossible is what I'm trying to say. You right. can fight for it. You just have to be willing to sacrifice the time. It's not easy. But listen, you can't be scared because if you don't overcome your fears, that's just going to keep happening. They're going to keep rolling over on you. And where are you going to be if you do that? Right, right. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. Um, and uh, on the the nine five stuff, I, I want to circle back to that just for a second, if that's okay, because I I realize that that that's kind of um, ling, uh, you know, like uh, uh, um, what's what's the Jargon. That's kind of jargony. What does that? What does the nine five mean for people that aren't familiar with with that kind of uh, that kind of language? So it basically means that you're not allowed to work the uh, the driver over nine and a half hours um, for more than two uh, three days in a work week mm. um, because you know that particular driver does not want the overtime. So therefore, you get on the nine five list. You're allowed. There is a list that management has that you put your name on and that means that you're part of a list of workers that does not want the overtime and if they decide to violate your rights on the nine five then you can put in tons of penalty for every hour work mm -hmm. overtime it's not just time and a half it's like quadruple your salary so um, a lot of times they're very reluctant to pay that out so they would rather just pay you your hours that they're supposed to be paying you and, and if you got enough workers that it helps create jobs right jay right. i mean yeah. if you think about it if you a whole center of workers on the nine five list then they can't force workers to you know do all this work they have to have more routes they have to create more opportunities for more work and so anybody can get on this nine to five list nine five list it's not just uh you know there's a there's so many 
uh, uh, places per facility. Anybody can be on this list. Any driver. Uh, what about part-time uh, preloaders? Guaranteed time to work. I, I remember. Uh, uh, I remember conversations about that. Um, uh, what do What do part-timers need to do to make sure that those uh, that 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 is protected? Again, you make sure that you get your guarantee. As a part-timer, you are guaranteed three and a half hours work. If they want to try to send you home before that, then you let them know, are you going to pay me my guarantee? And if they say no, then you say you have to find something for me to do then because I am not giving up my guarantee. So, and you can put in a grievance. If they try to send you home anyway, you can put in a grievance and you will get paid. And a lot of times there's members that do go home and don't want or care to get their uh, three, uh, three and a half guarantee, which really does hurt us. Mm. And what we can do as stewards is make sure that we ask for the recap, which is a list of all the workers and the hours they work for the week or the day. You can ask for a daily recap or a weekly recap. Um, I think it's preferred to do it on a daily basis. And you could see all the people that they sent home with earlier than their three and a half guarantee. And you could put in a grievance as a steward for all those members. Mm. And you could actually get members paid. And, you know, it, it works, especially if you get enough people behind it, because then they'll see that they should just start making sure they pay everybody their guaranteed rate. And the same thing goes with full-time drivers. If they're not trying to pay you guaranteed eight hours, trying to send you home before your eight hours are done, you can mm. do the same. Put in a grievance for your guaranteed eight hours. Anytime you show up to work, you are guaranteed eight hours of work as a full-timer. Every time you show up to work, you are guaranteed three and a half workers as a part, three and a half hours as a part-timer. How do I file a grievance? If I uh, identify some of these things and I want to go and do that, uh, wh what are the steps to actually do that? Well, there are many different grievances, but the step in filing is making sure you get yourself a grievance form. Uh, most locals have them. Uh, available to the workers in my local we actually have a website where you can download the grievances we even have easy already made grievances where the articles of the violations are already on there for you you just mm -hmm. kind of have to add the who's the when's and the what's and um you know you want to put down exactly what time uh, i like to use approximately a lot of times when because you don't know for sure sometimes how long a supervisor has been working you see him working at a certain time you walk away he's still working so it could right. be up to an hour so i would right. put approximately 11 12 to you know um 12 12 or 12 mm. 13 or whatever it was uh that i saw him actually stop working um you also want to make sure when you put in your guarantee, you're, you're, you're putting in, you're, you can actually make sure you look at the language on the contract, put in the right article, make sure you uh, put the name of the supervisor that's not paying the guarantee, and then, you know, uh, let them know what day you worked and how and what time they made you go. So you want to just make sure you're precise. I try to tell everybody, don't try to write a novel. A lot of people, when they write grievances, they get stuck on the story of what happened. Mm. Let's stick to the facts. Let's stick to the facts, make it simple. This was the violation. These are the people involved. This was the time it happened and make it short and sweet. And this is the resolution. Uh, Tony, that's, I really appreciate your time. I think that was a great rundown. Is there anything else uh, you think that folks, uh, you know, UPS Teamsters or anybody else uh, you want to make sure that they know before we let you go? Yes, absolutely. And thanks for asking that because I just came from Long Island and 32BJ. Uh, it's possible that over 170,000 workers could be going on strike. 
um, in Long Island. They had a nice group together. They were actually getting ready to take their strike authorization vote. They are planning to kind of use the contract campaign we used at UPS with the practice picketing and all that. I think it was amazing to sit there in solidarity with the 32 BJ workers. They're not the only ones. Teamsters have Anheuser-Busch taking strike authorization mm -hmm. votes right now, if I'm not mistaken. And if you haven't heard, DHL workers at CVG in Cincinnati, Ohio are also on strike. They're going to be extending their picket lines all over, fighting for DHL workers because there is a ULP strike because they do not want to bargain in good faith. And one more, we have Amazon workers, uh, Palmdale, California, Amazon Teamsters Local 396 have been on strike five months have vis have been on strike five months, have went to over six states to extend their picket lines in over 25 Amazon facilities across the country. Beautiful things are happening. As you know, Starbucks workers recently had their Red Cup Day uh, actions. I think workers are rising up. Workers are tired of the BS. Everybody's standing up for their rights and making sure that those uh, corporations that are making all those profits while the CEOs are lining their pockets, the shareholders are lining their pockets and not wanting to share, the workers are coming out and making sure that they get their fair share now. And the, and the, and honestly, it's what they deserve. And we're just going to make sure that they're not going to give it to us. We're going to have to take it, Jake. All right. Tony, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. All right. Here we go. So that's going to be it for us today, folks. Appreciate everybody's time. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. 844-899-TVLR is the phone number if you want to send us a text message, uh, leave us a voicemail. And uh, tvlr.fm slash donate is where you're going to go to make a one-time or recurring donation or uh, make a donation to our postage fund for the new year. And I am and going... please do that. Please, please do that. Please yes. do that. Um... I just want to say that we've got a lot of stuff in the in the works for 2024. We're doing some strategizing. We're we're looking at how we can improve the program next year uh, in terms of programming. We're looking at how we can expand the program in terms of our radio footprint, um, possibly you know additional programming, um, and we're looking at a fundraising campaign. Uh, because 2024 is going to be a big year for labor, and we need labor media out there telling the story, amplifying the voices of working people. Uh, there's going to be a lot of money spent on media in 2024. Why not spend some of that money advancing labor media? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we are committed to improving the program, to growing our, our base of funders, uh, growing our advertisers. Uh, that's something we're going to be working on and continuing to work on. So if you have a few bucks and can chip in to help us pay for our postage, uh, we're going to be mailing out information to locals and to officers and to organizations across the South, uh, just really trying to build this thing uh, yep. because we need, we need media for working people. And uh, that's what we're trying to do, and we really appreciate all the support from everybody. Um, and I do want to mention we'll wrap things up next week with Shop Talk. We will have a December Shop Talk uh, for December Labor History. And that'll be the last episode of Shop Talk for the year. Um, and so stay tuned for that Thursday morning. Um, and again, I wanted to uh, 
remind folks to check out America's Workforce. Uh, the episodes recently from Jacob and from friends of the show, Max Alvarez, Dev Wakely, definitely check that out. Um, and I guess since this is the last time I will be live besides Shop Talk, uh, I do want to just say in January, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to get engaged locally. So those of you who are in North Alabama, um, you know, stay tuned. There's going to be a lot of cool events happening between the North Alabama Labor Council, uh, Tennessee Valley Progressive Alliance, Alabama Arise, all these different groups and organizations are going to do a lot of good stuff in the year ahead. Uh, so, yeah, just stay tuned. Yep. Uh, Max Alvarez with the Working People Podcast, editor-in-chief of the Real News Network, is doing a 12-hour fundraising live stream for the families of East Palestine, uh, raising money for their Christmas. Um, I'm going to be on. I don't know if Adam is. I'm going to be on from 3 to 4. Uh, so find me there. I put the link to the stream in the chat on both Facebook and YouTube. So uh, head over there. Um, and I'll see y'all on that stream in a couple of hours. Bye, y'all. Solidarity oh, forever. What? Re- real quick, the 23rd and the 30th are going to be pre-tapes and best ofs. TVLR.fm slash contact if you have any suggestions for the best ofs. And uh, um, we'll be back on January the 6th.